What's up, fam? You're about to hear a message from Hope Valley Church in Denver, Colorado. We are a new, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church and campus ministry in Denver, Colorado. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for like a day or a whole lifetime, we trust that this message will help you take your next steps to follow him. If you're in the Denver metro area, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You can check us out at our website at hvdenver.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, however you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Oh, and share. Now, let's jump in. All right, so today we're going to jump back into the book of Luke. Hey, 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 Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, I know that last week we touched on it, and to be honest with you, I didn't plan on preaching a sermon on this, uh, but I really feel like God arrested my heart uh, late on Thursday and um, gave me something that I want to share that I think more accurately represents the heart of God towards us and towards the lawyer in a way that, uh, quite honestly, I had never seen before, and it impacted me in a significant way. And my hope is that the Spirit of God speaks to you this morning and impacts you in a similar way. So uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through the end of this parable. And uh, Wayne, if you could come up and read for me, uh, read for all of us. Participation is better than? So I invite you to go ahead and stand to your feet. Uh, it is, it's um, roughly nine verses, so you don't have to read along. Wayne will read all of this, but you can read aloud if you'd like as well. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word with expectation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. Who's got a Bible with them? If you could open it up to Luke chapter 10, I've got a question for you. Uh, just, I need you to just call out what subheading, if there is one, does your Bible have right before that first verse? The parable of the Good Samaritan. Anybody else have... Something different? Maybe no heading at all? All right. So just, just that's, that's what it's commonly known as, and that's what it's celebrated by. But one of the things that I noticed in this week 
as I reflected on this passage uh, and just kind of thinking about the heart of God towards those who don't know him, I realized that uh, this passage, this parable of the Good Samaritan is not separate from the sending of the 72. That we create these separations in Scripture that make us think that the ministry of Jesus was fully disjointed and it was a series of separate things that were taking place. But the reality is the subheadings in our Bible didn't exist until the 16th century, or actually after the 16th century. And so they were added by editors to help us understand what was going on in the story so that we could have more common language and speak in more general terms about where to find a story in the Bible. And so it's a helpful tool, but sometimes the tool of the subheadings in our Bibles can get in the way of us understanding what God is up to in a moment or separating that out from the story that's being told. If your Bible has the parable of the Good Samaritan listed specifically, you probably also have Mary and Martha separated as well, because that's oftentimes the story. But Luke is actually trying to help us see a continuous theme of serving Jesus. And what does it look like to serve Jesus? And what does it look like to be served by Jesus at the same time? And so this story is being unwrapped in and, and, and one larger piece. And so I want to encourage you to sometimes just like look past the subheadings in your Bible as you're trying to consider what is it that God is trying to communicate to me through his word and in his word in this moment. Does that make sense? You can also sometimes, if you need to, you can cross out the subheadings in your Bible, and you're not changing Scripture if you do that, but you can cross it out so that you don't look at it, or you could cross it out so that you could have a better story. It's, it's so interesting to me that we call it the Good Samaritan and not the Good Neighbor, or Loving One's Neighbor, or Who Can Love Their Neighbor, which was Jesus' whole point. Who can love their neighbor? But we call it the Good Samaritan, and we leave it as the Good Samaritan, and we understand it as the Good Samaritan, and that shapes our thought about what's happening in the text. Does that make sense? So I like to sometimes cross it out and write different stories. So mine says, who is a good neighbor? Because I feel like that's more the question that Jesus answers. Last week I highlighted that this man comes up and asks Jesus a question. He's trying to test him. This lawyer, this expert on the law is coming to Jesus knowing that he's got the right answer and testing Jesus to see if Jesus would also have the right answer because Jesus was saying some pretty radical things and he was just trying to figure out what does Jesus actually believe and what would he actually teach. And so, you know, sometimes it'd be the equivalent of somebody asking me, what do you believe about the resurrection? What do you believe about what do you believe about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? What's this, what do you believe about this foundational core orthodox belief that sits at the center of everything? What sits at the, what sits at the center of all the commands, Jesus? And, and so Jesus says, well, what, what do you think it says? Because he's teaching the man. And the man responds, and Jesus says, you've, you've, said, you've learned correctly. You've said correctly. And the man, seeking to justify himself, says, but who is my neighbor? Jesus, understanding that the man wasn't actually trying to figure out who his neighbor is, but he was really trying to figure out, is there a loophole in this thing? Do I really have to love Steve? Like, do I really have to love Martha? Man, she, she bugs the heck out of me. Do I really have to put up with Jedediah? We'll go with like a more than name. 
Like, do I really have to do this? Or is there a loophole that I can find a way out? And Jesus, knowing his heart, answers the question that he should have asked, not just the question that he did ask, because Jesus loves to do that. And that's what broke my heart open this week was the realization about how much Jesus speaks to what we really need, not just to what we say we need. Are you tracking? So Jesus is talking to this man, and, he, and, and I come to this conclusion based on the answer that Jesus gives because he tells this whole story about how the, the religious people chose to stay religiously clean and, and how they avoided, they did the socially and the religiously right thing, but then because they shouldn't have approached a broken, bleeding, dead body. And so they were kind of following the cultural norms, and they were following the religious norms. And then it says a despised Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan people were... Uh, were like a mixed race people that lived away from Jerusalem and, and they were despised by the, the Jewish people, which is why it mattered that it was a Jewish person making the journey. And so here's the oppressed and the oppressor. Now the oppressor is beaten and left for dead on the side of the road and the oppressed comes and saves him and, and, and rescues him and offers, a, offers to cover all of his bills and take care of everything that he could possibly need. The result is that Jesus tells the lawyer, he says, now which one was the good neighbor? And he said, the Samaritan, which would have been a very, very difficult thing to come out of that man's mouth to say that the Samaritan did the better thing than the teacher of the synagogue. Are you, are you tracking with me? So that would have been a very difficult thing. So Jesus says, now you go and do the same. Now, this is, what I, this is what blew my mind. My, today's message is titled, The Best Samaritan. The Best Samaritan. And it's a play on words. But what I want us to see today is that Jesus was the best Samaritan. Because in sharing this parable with the lawyer, Jesus was living out exactly the substance of the parable. In sharing the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was actively living out in the presence of those who were listening the essence of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let me explain. If somebody walked up to you and called into question your honesty your integrity, your work ethic, your devotion to Jesus, your love for God. If somebody came up and called those things into question, how would you respond? Probably not great. Right? You could say it. You could say it. Not great. Punch him in the throat. There we go. Now we're making progress. Now we're getting honest. So the creator of the universe from whose breath came all of creation, from whose spoken word everything that is has become and is sustained and is moving towards is now being questioned by somebody who's the expert on the law, not understanding who he's talking to. And so he tests Jesus, and he's like, do you happen to know what the law is? Because I do. And Jesus is like, the law came from me. It came from my heart. Let me describe to you something that will make sense to you. But instead of, instead, of, instead of ridiculing this man. Now, see, let me say it this way. 
Instead of ridiculing this man, Jesus chooses to minister to the man. Instead of accusing the man, Jesus ministers to the man. Instead of mocking the man for his ignorance, Jesus instead paints a picture in this guy's heart and mind and invites him back into the work that he's participating in in the first place. Are you tracking? Jesus is being the best Samaritan. He's not a Samaritan. Got it. The colloquial term Samaritan, as we understand it, a neighbor. Jesus is being the best neighbor to this man by slowing down and loving him and showing him a different way. Sometimes we like to think that Jesus, in his crusade to rescue the oppressed, had nothing but violence for the oppressor. Sometimes we think that, and certainly there's judgment that comes to those who are in an oppressor position. Sometimes we think that Jesus' his ministry was built only to take down the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. And to take down all these religious kind of groups of people. These, he's, he was coming after the pastors. He was coming after organized religion. He was coming after all these things. He was tearing all of these things down. But in this parable and in this moment, we actually see a different picture. And the reason I'm taking time to belabor this today is because I, I feel like last week I might not have painted a clear enough picture of God's heart for all people. God's desire for all people to hear and respond to the gospel and surrender. Because sometimes we can make it look like Jesus just hates everybody who has some religious background. But the reality is the scribes, the Pharisees are so much more like us than, we, than we're comfortable to acknowledge. And so this isn't just good news for the other people. This isn't just good news for the religious person who you're thinking of. Because I know that you were thinking of somebody. I, I would have you call it out, but I don't want to put anybody's business out there. But as I talk about the religious rulers who Jesus would be so angry at, who Jesus was, would withhold his kindness from, maybe the equivalent of the lawyer is Pastor... <laughs> It's quite the opposite, actually. I appreciate that. Yeah, that, that other pastor, Andrew. <laughs> They're the people we love to hate. And, and we would love to hate the lawyer, and all Jesus does is show up to this man and show him a better way, thereby fulfilling the parable that he's teaching them. Is it helping you as much as it helps me to realize the enormity of God's love and his commitment to the mission? There was not like the thing that he talked about separate from the thing that he did. There was not a, an ethic that he held that was separate from from his behavior. There was not a desire for humanity that was separate from, from the life that he walked out every single day. It's not like he had a really good idea that he struggled to live up to, uh, and he wanted everybody else to struggle to live up to a thing. Instead, what he talked about was exactly what he was doing, and sometimes specifically to the people that he was talking to. I love to think that the people in the crowd who are hearing him talk about this, that maybe one of them had a brother who had been beaten and walked past. I like to think that as Jesus was ministering to this crowd, that, that 
there was perhaps a teacher in the synagogue that as much as they were parables for our benefit, which means a story, a, a spiritual story, as much as it was a story that Jesus was creating and these people didn't exist, I love to think that Jesus, knowing the hearts of the people around him, knew exactly that even though these, this story didn't happen the way that he told it to happen, it was happening in the hearts of the people he was talking to every single day. That every single day, the people in the group, the people in the group who were listening would have walked past the lane They'd walk past the broken. They'd walk past the desperate. They'd walk past the longing and the needy. they just walk past it in their hearts. And Jesus is like, let's deal with this heart issue, not just for the lawyer, but for the benefit of all of us who are here right now. Jesus made a pattern of this in his ministry. Jesus sees the real issue, and then he fills the gap. Jesus sees the real issue, And he fills the gap. The lawyer brought up this question, trying to make the issue about this, but Jesus saw the real issue and filled the gap and said, and 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 with such great mercy. Like if if he had come to me, if I was being tested like that, I'd be like, Man, you're a fool. Like just like that. No, (laughs) like you're a fool. Like I like I've ever said that ever. I but it'd be like, man, this is such a foolish question. Why why are we even talking about this? Why are you coming at me anyway? But Jesus is like, no, 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 there's a way for you to love your neighbor. Let me show you the way to love your neighbor. And I think he was encouraging the brokenhearted position of the Pharisee or of the lawyer because I, I believe that the lawyer asked the question. He sought to justify himself because he saw the gap between what Jesus was asking for and demanding and what he was able to bring to the table. And so he says, hey, I've got some, this is all good news. He's like, I got some news for you. If even a Samaritan, can fulfill the law not knowing me and having busted up religion and having kind of a confused idea of what it means to be Jewish or religious or Christian, if they have a busted idea of what it means to be righteous before God and they can do well, I got good news for you. You understand the law. You can do even better, even in your brokenness, even in your limit. He was ministering to this man and showing him that the gap wasn't impossible. He was closing the gap with this revelation. In Mark chapter 9, you see the story of a man whose son is dying. His son is dying. And he's like, can you heal my son, Jesus? And this discourse takes some some, some moment. And and, and Jesus said, you know, do do you want me to do this for you? And they said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Even in saying that he believed, His statement of belief revealed the gap where he didn't believe and he didn't even know that he could ask with integrity because he was broken in himself. And I believe that's where some of us are today. So maybe your gap is not the lawyer's gap, but maybe your your gap is the father's gap. That in the same breath as you say, I believe, you have this haunting voice that says, I don't believe. But this man chose a position of humility. Instead of seeking to justify his position, instead of trying to pretend like he had enough faith, faith, because that wouldn't do any good, because Jesus knows his heart. Jesus knows his thoughts. Jesus knows his purpose from the beginning to the end. There's no surprise there. So why front with Jesus? Why fake with him? So this man says, I believe, help my unbelief. They're both present in my life. And he chose a place of humility and the grace of God appeared to him and he healed his son and healed the father's heart in the process as well. In John chapter 20, uh, one one of my favorite places in all of scripture, 
we meet a man called Doubting Thomas. And I talk about Doubting Thomas a lot. Because in my Bible, I crossed it out and I wrote Believing Thomas. There's something about the way we relate to people according to their past life that's destructive for them and for the kingdom and for our witness to the whole world. Because Thomas doesn't doubt anymore. In fact, all the disciples doubted. They were all like, it's over. <laughs> like, that was a good run, good three-year run. He did better than most revolutionaries to make it three years. That's pretty good. How did he avoid Jerusalem so long? How did he avoid Rome for so long that we made it three good years? Remember back when we were changing the world with Jesus for those three years? You know, and they're just sitting there eating fish and, you know, just eating their bread and just, man, that was a good time, wasn't it? Didn't work out the way we thought it did. Did it, Andrew? We really thought that was going to be different. He's dead. Nobody believed that he was risen from the dead. So we ought to be forgiving of Thomas for his lack of faith in this moment. So Thomas says, I need some help. I got a gap. I got a gap, Jesus. I'm, I see you here in front of me. I see you there. But I also saw you dead. Like all the way dead. Like so dead the body was done bleeding dead so dead he was buried in a tomb dead so dead the only expectation for his body is that it would have stunk at this point Jesus I got a gap unless I could put my hands in it I, I, I won't even know and Jesus says you believe because you've sinned but seen but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe and so we're like see Thomas is an idiot no no Thomas is the hero Thomas, the father in the story, they revealed to us what to do when we come upon a gap. God, I believe that you'll save me. I don't believe that you'll save me. God, I want to believe, but I need to touch you. I need to investigate. I need to seek out some more information. I want to believe that you rose from the dead. If you or somebody you know struggles with, can I trust Jesus? Let's study the resurrection. Let's go in and look. Let's investigate like Thomas did. Acknowledge the gap. Choose a place of humility. Today what I want to do is in light of the way that Jesus loved the lawyer by being the best Samaritan, by being the best neighbor, and living out the nature of that parable by drawing close to a person that was ridiculing him, encouraged by that reality, encouraged by the reality that the Father in Mark 9 was able to say, I believe, help my unbelief. Seeing that Jesus was more than satisfied to answer the question that, John, that Thomas had after the resurrection. I mean, like, y'all, like, like, we think that this is like, that they were like just banging rocks together and they weren't intelligent people and that's like why they believed in the resurrection. They knew what a dead person was. They had profound science and, and care and insights into the universe. We have only now figured out how they used to make concrete. Their concrete was so much better than ours. Kind of a nerd aside. It was like a thing that their concrete was amazing. And it's still holding us, holding up. Ours breaks apart. AJ will tell you all about that. He's in construction. He knows things about concrete. Talk to him. 
in light of the fact that Thomas teaches us what to do with our unbelief, it's just to confess it. And so if you could stand to your feet today, what I want to do is I want to do some business with our doubt. I want to do some business with our unbelief. I want to talk about these areas where we've been trying to negotiate with God like the lawyer instead of confessing the gap like the father did and like Thomas did because we've got some gaps, I think, that Jesus wants to minister to. And, and the, what's interesting is the way that we acknowledge the gap, the way that we deal with the gap is just by surrendering. And the surrender that Jesus is calling us to is to say, God, I think I know. I think I know what's best. I think I know what's right. I think I know how it should be. I think I know what it's supposed to be like. I think my way is right. I'm troubled with the way that things currently are. But, but God, I surrender my way. And I accept your way. Jesus, I thought you were supposed to, like, I thought we were going to change the world by overthrowing Rome. I've got a different way, Thomas. It was by overthrowing shame. It was by overthrowing death. For the Father, it's like, I, I believe, I, I, I believe, I know you've got power, but I don't believe that you actually have enough power. Maybe it'll run out. Maybe you don't love me enough. Maybe the things I did disqualify my son from receiving healing. And for the lawyer, he knew well enough to understand. He knew deeply enough to understand that the call to love God and love his neighbor was insurmountable. So Jesus showed him a path. Jesus was the best Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And he fulfilled his call to come back and pay for everything on the cross in just a short time after. Roughly 12 to 18 months later, Jesus climbed up on a cross willingly, submitted himself to the hands of violent men, put himself up as a sacrifice to bridge the gap once and for all so that everyone who calls on his name will be saved from the gap. Be saved from our sin. Be saved from our shame. Be saved from the penalty of all of those things. He's the true and better neighbor. He's the true and better friend. He's the best. Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, we come to you with all kinds of different stories, with all kinds of different expectations, with all kinds of different longings and hopes and desires, with different kinds of disappointment, fear, doubt and unbelief today instead of trying to negotiate the gap between your invitation to be lovers of you and lovers of people instead of trying to navigate away the, the gap that stands between us and your presence between knowing you and being known we choose to name our doubt. We choose to name our unbelief. We confess our struggles. And we ask God that as we surrender the way that seems right to us, we ask that you would fill the gap. Fill the gap of understanding. Fill the gap of love. 
Fill the gap of compassion and mercy. Fill the gap of healing. Just to make it real clear, the another word for gap is, is actually sin. That's what it we can trust him with our sin. We can surrender our sin to him and choose to live in him and by him and through him and for him. God, we surrender even our sin to you today. We surrender the sin that we despise and we're embarrassed by. We even surrender the sin that we love and we embrace and we don't even hate yet. We surrender in Jesus' name.